0: What's going on, everybody? I am here with the guys from the Network Age podcast. This is the first Other Life Network Age crossover episode. We are going to be talking today about this whole FTX fiasco. We're going to be talking about Mr. SBF and all the craziness surrounding the collapse of, of FTX right now. I want to start off with, there might be some people in the audience who are not super into crypto. I know there's a lot of people in my audience who are maybe curious about crypto, but not necessarily like deep into it. So probably most people now have heard about this massive fiasco, which is probably one of the craziest things to happen in the entire history of the crypto industry so far. But a lot of people might not know the basic details. So I think we should just start with a little bit of a recap. You guys can chip in if I, you think I'm missing anything. But at a very high level, basically, for those who are maybe only just heard about the headlines vaguely, this guy, Sam bankman fried was basically one of the most trusted high visibility, respected figures in crypto. He's a young guy who made a ton of money, billions of dollars relatively quickly. There was a lot of really interesting and impressive kind of origin story to his rise. He was quite famous for conducting what is sometimes called the kimchi arbitrage, where he was basically moving Bitcoin back and forth from the US to Japan and Korea, supposedly made millions doing that turned that into a successful trading operation called Alameda Research. Alameda Research then spun out into an exchange called FTX and built this kind of massive billion-dollar brand and entity and company. And yeah, he was basically the, the whiz kid, the guy who was seen as Blue Chip founder, the person you could trust in this shady sea of sketchy scammers and con artists. He was the one that all the VCs and all of the institutions had the most faith in and the most trust in. And Lo and behold, not too long ago, it turned out, and we can get into some of the details, but it turned out that essentially what it looks like to most observers right now is that uh, at some point, it looks like Alameda Research got uh, screwed in similar ways as other companies that went under, but instead of going under, what they did was they pulled money from customer deposits in the FTX exchange to cover over some holes that they had at the time when a bunch of other firms were blowing up. And that explains why Alameda did not blow up. Only recently did this kind of become exposed. Another exchange owner, CZ from Binance, kind of tweeted some vaguely accusatory uh, tweets and mentioned possibly selling the FTT token. The FTT token was um, the one of the main holdings of FTX's assets at the time. And so the price plummeted, which meant that All of a sudden FTX became insolvent. There was basically a run on the exchange and FTX could not meet customer deposits and everything spiraled downward from there. Is that an adequate summary of what's going on for people who maybe don't know anything about this story, or are there any kind of key points anyone here would add to that before we get into the juicy questions about what, about what the heck is really going on and what it means? Yeah. You're forgetting the polycule, right?
1: That's (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of context. Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes, oh yeah, a lot of context, but at a high level, the main story, is there anything essential that you would add that I I did not so mention
1: or that I got wrong? It
2: sounds like you're trying to give the main story from the sort of, let's see, before the crash happened perspective without the benefit of hindsight. So I think that's like good to do. I would note that there was a pretty big divide. Like, so you gave the general opinion of SPF. I think there was a pretty big divide within the kind of, you know, more idealistic, hardcore crypto community, uh, even prior to the crash, to the point that there was a lot of shot in once like, you know, shit started to go down because people didn't like him. And it was for and interestingly, I think people didn't like him for exactly the same reason, the kind of VC types and let's I don't even know what to call them. There's sort of this like normie investor type who gets who like essentially like the kind of person who loves Stripe, who will just like blank <laughs> all day about how amazing <laughs> yeah. like, the Paulus and brothers are, right? It's so easily like, you know, Whatever. Stripe, stripe is a great business. Um but And as far as we know, like the Stripe crash is going to be even better. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But like that type of person really liked SBF for the exact same reason that I would say more crypto maxi purists. And I say that in a very positive way, didn't like him, which is that uh, he didn't like crypto that much and didn't believe in it in any sense. And also that he was selling shovels, uh, you know, to people mining for gold. And so like, and I would see the sentiment explicitly, like I've seen these kind of we'll call them the Stripe types. Afterward, like literally writing that I trusted SDF specifically because it seemed like he didn't go for that crypto stuff. He was just there to like, you know, make money. Right. Which like to us, or at least to me, sounds horrible. But to them, it sounds sort of like, OK, you know, you're on my side. You've seen through this whole game and you're doing the responsible thing of, you know, just raking in these transaction fees on top of it and selling these, you know, idiot degens, uh shovels. So I, I guess I would I guess I would just finish that by saying that Uh, Oh, and the other one is, oh, the other part is that SPF, no matter where his reputation was, you know, prior to a couple months ago, uh, people started to think he was a massive. Uh, He was explicitly lobbying DC and and the SEC in particular to regulate DeFi pretty obviously so that FTX could like try to, you know, get this privileged position. And I don't think anyone who's, you know, serious about crypto in any way really liked that. It was extremely sketchy, underhanded. And I don't think people, I think at that point, people thought he was like a serious operator who might, who was like dangerous before, because he could get that through and not that he was a total degen, as it turned out. Uh, but like people, people didn't like him like to a large degree.
0: Right. Okay. So we're starting to get into some of the colorful details here. Yes. He was, um, uh, basically becoming a pretty ambitious political operator. He, he was the second biggest donor to the democratic party, um, in, in the recent election. And you know, that's saying quite a lot for someone who just quite recently kind of, kind of, yeah. um, became, became quite wealthy. And so other colorful details, like, um, Mitchell alluded to include the fact that they were, the FTX was being run out of a, a mansion in the Bahamas, um, uh, where he worked with, um, someone who he formerly dated allegedly, uh, Caroline Ellison, uh, Caroline Ellison also worked at Jane street previously where sam bankman fried also worked previously jane street for those of you who don't know is one of the biggest um trading firms out there basically um kind of old school institutional uh trading firm and so they both came from that uh kind of avenue historically and they're living in a house with a bunch of people in the bahamas and the other colorful detail is that they were effective altruists okay and uh This is something I've talked about a fair bit in the past. So it's kind of like a running, a running theme, a running discussion point, if you will, in the other life content empire. Um, Here, we tend to stand virtue ethics a little bit more than, than uh, effective altruism. And uh, that may or may not be important. Actually, I think it's, you know, uh, I think it's actually more important than you might think. Uh, Bern Hobart actually wrote a very good piece uh, a few days ago on, on FTX. And he actually kind of takes, he takes this seriously and talks about how you can, you, you really can only understand SBF's kind of, um, uh, economic strategy, his, his economic bet making, you only really can understand it through uh, a utilitarian or effective altruist lens. Uh, and, and so I think I take that actually quite seriously. So I think, okay, those are kind of the, the most colorful additional moving parts that I think people need to be aware of just to get, just to download quickly, the, the main story and it's, it's fascinating, colorful details. But let's talk a little bit about I want to get your guys uh, viewpoints and opinions and angles on like what's most interesting or important here. I, I want to start by asking you about this, about the political story, because it does seem like not a coincidence that he was, you know, a massive Democratic Party supporter, that he was the guy uh, in, in crypto who was like most dedicated to, uh, you know, basically regulating DeFi in a way that would mm-hmm. uh, benefit centralized exchanges such as FTX. Um And at the disadvantage of decentralized exchanges. And so, like, what do you guys think is going on with SBF and FTX politically? What, you know, is that like the, the conspiracy theory is that he's, you know, basically maybe he's a CIA plant or maybe he's like a Democratic Party plant. Maybe, you know, he was there from the beginning just to right, kind of like uh, bring, <laughs> bring crypto. Crypt- yeah, yeah. Just to like bring crypto into the clutches of the government. Um, you know, I tend to not like conspiracy theories and I generally don't like, you know, sign off on, on very many of them. I do think though, this is kind of an interesting angle that is like kind of hard to, you have to at least think about it. So what are you guys thinking, thinking about on that front?
1: I think, you know, my problem with conspiracy theories is I think they just always assume that like the government, if it involves the government is smarter than it is. It's just always hard for me to imagine that the people in power are, uh, you know, not as retarded as they've shown themselves to be over and over again uh, in executing some of these plans. And I think that like, to the degree that there's any truth in this is like, you know, he comes like his SPF's parents are, you know, Stanford professors. He comes from, you know, MIT he's in this world. Like if there's a conspiracy, it's the normal conspiracy of rich, highly educated people who know each other, helping each other out and working for each other's interests, which is like bad, but it's, it's nothing particularly new or exciting.
2: I, I could expand on that I'm like, I sort of agree and expand, which is that... Like improv, uh, right? We're, exactly. We're just... We're right? just oh, we're, baby. We're just, um, <laughs> he very clearly sort of likes to play games um, and thinks of things in terms of like, you know, pl- like playing games and, do- and like doing well in them. And he's very familiar with the mechanics of aspects of like the political game and how it can be used because of his parents' background. Also, I think for our listeners who don't know, Jane Street is kind of like the Navy SEALs of like, you know, autistic people, like, so every in the same way, the, like everybody who's like sort of military adjacent has like a story about how they almost, you know, got into the SEALs, but dropped out on like the last day. Everyone, uh, who's in sort of who's, you know, basically has like a high IQ and is good at math has a story about how they got to like the final round of Jane Street and then like, you know, was kicked out. Uh, I have one of those, you know, some of my other friends from like, you know, school do. Um, And so he was, but he was like at the top of that and he was, you know, very, very good at it. And it's very much like a, uh, finance as a game, um, again, not, no criticism of that, very smart people. Um, and so I think that he sort of had this almost, I guess you could call it like innovation where he understood at a pretty young age, uh, how a lot of the political pieces fit with the financial pieces, um, and the regulatory pieces and was trying to like maneuver all of those, uh, very explicitly. I, I guess, like, that does answer your question, though, which is, to me, it looks a lot more like a very, you know, a very smart kid stimmed up uh, on, you know, trying to maneuver himself into a high place in that, uh, you know, hierarchy, as opposed to, like, the CIA blessing him to, like, take down Profil. Like, the former explanation just seems a lot more parsimonious to me.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I don't think there was like a grand conspiracy there necessarily. I think he, like obviously he did have very good connections that I think kind of related to his ability to kind of lobby, like he was in front of Congress very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. so he was able to kind of be that figurehead of like, you know, responsible crypto, which is sort of, you know, hilarious in hindsight, um, but that's where he had positioned himself. And I think his understanding, obviously, of the political environment helped there, but also the way he set up, you know, his hedge fund, the fact he was able to use his own token from his own exchange as collateral, the way he was able to use that to then make really um, large impact purchases across crypto. I, I, he was clearly like savvy to the mechanism and how the sausage worked. I'm not sure who extended that line of credit though.
2: Right. When, he was you, actually when you talk about responsible crypto, that also makes me think that I think he found some product market fit with the fact that regulators were looking for some angle into regulating crypto. And so having this kind of like walled garden that people are using in high numbers and where this guy's like mm. pushing you to like regulate DeFi so they can use his thing. That's appealing to a section of like the government. So again, I think it's pushed by him. But there was like, you know, there's some pull as well where there's parts of like, you know, the SEC and some people in Congress who are receptive to that. Well, um, the government,
1: um, they, you know, they want to make money. They see crypto and they see money moving back and forth. And I don't think it's actually in their interest once they realize how big the cash cow is to go and, you know, cut off the milk. They just want to get their piece. And if, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried is the guy who's going to um let them in the door and let them take a cut of everything, then of course they're going to love him, right? And it, you know, it it makes perfect sense why Sam Bankman-Fried wanted this, and it makes perfect sense why people in the government would want to get their grubby little hands in. There. Everyone's so- acting like as as you would expect, I think.
0: So, I mean, do you guys think that this is the story of a young man who kind of just got drunk on power and money and made some foolish, unethical decisions and then things kind of got carried away? Or do you read this more as like, this is a hard-boiled sociopath who, <laughs> sought, who sought to maximize power and control and dominance from, from the beginning of his rise? Like, what, what, how do you read it?
2: Is there, is there a difference in those things? Like yeah, I, I just yeah, don't know. yeah. I, I, I yeah. might be too much well, of a sociopath to see the
0: difference. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's impossible to know, and maybe it's not a productive question. But to me, this is kind of the the, the fast one of the fascinating, uh, juicy questions right now, which is like, um, yeah, just like how to what degree was this his plan all along? Where it's like, I don't care about crypto values. I don't care about decentralization. I don't care about freedom. I don't care about any of these like values that are associated with crypto. I just want to basically. Make as much money as possible, get as much control as possible because I'm an effective altruist and I believe that it's necessary to donate my money to malaria yeah. that's in Africa
2: or whatever. No, yeah. I think that was, I, I think effective. I think also it seems at least my current working hypothesis is that it was very much a game for him. And very often the people who can make the most money, like tend to treat it as a game. Like it's, you know, very useful frame. Um, and I think the effective altruism thing was very likely like, you know, everyone has to have an answer for what do I do once I have like, you know, $50 billion, Well, not everyone, but people who, you know, try to get $50 billion, uh, need an answer for that. And I think it was sort of, you know, to some degree his kind of like MacGuffin, you know, for some people it'll be like, I'll establish a familial dynasty or I'll like, you know, do lots of like, you know, build lots of libraries and his kind of MacGuffin for the money and the power was all you know, make this like altruistic is my impression. Right. Right. I think, you know, to the degree that anyone
1: believes anything they say. I think it's always, you know, hard to figure it out. Right. Once your actions start converging on what you're saying, from what direction it's coming, you know, hard to tell. But I do think that if you buy into the idea of effective altruism, that the most good you can do is by making money and, and donating it and giving it to good causes. Um, then your highest responsibility is to go make more money at at whatever cost right and the the values of crypto are are secondary to the value that you create by amassing more wealth and giving it to the right causes right right though i I don't think that that necessarily is mutually exclusive with this being a smart kid hopped up on amphetamines who got in Mm -hmm. over his head i think I think that those can be happening at the, at the exact I same mean, time.
2: Should we talk about the Alexander the Great thing? Like, you know, I've been there. Was he on Adderall? Of- yeah, exactly. Uh, well, the Adderall of, like, battle. Um, but, like, <laughs> when, you, when things go well for you in a string for a while, particularly when you're young, it's very hard to find evidence that you're not God. Like, quite literally. Or that, like, the world is not a simulation, like, controlled fully by you. So if you're, like, however old he is, like, late 20s, And you've just had this like string of wins and you know alexander the great was a similar age you quite literally start to believe either you know that you're god or that you have this very special power over the universe and like the stimulants definitely like don't help to disabuse that nor does like the glowing like profiles or billions of dollars
0: right right yeah for sure it's it's, it's 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 essentially a video game and you are better at it than anyone else in the world and the video game also happens to have the control of the world downstream of it in a way so it's like his calculation i think is if i can just you know if i if i can just bend the rules slightly momentarily and get away with this well then i'll just buy the government next election basically it's like that that's part of the, that's part of the I mean, thinking right it's like gotten, yeah and
3: I'll, from, and I'll make it you better
1: you know for everybody while i'm doing it because i'm uh, i'm so generous i'm going to then yeah. my money it seems right like away. such
3: a weak narrative the whole like I'm gonna give like billions of dollars to some cause. It's like when you just think of it in terms of like, are, like who who's actually implementing that money? How is it being spent? Like this, it's just so it's such a weak. Well, money. it's it's and the like, most.
1: You're, you're anti-charity, is what you're saying. You all <laughs> well, I'm anti
3: just like completely hands-off charity. I'm like very pro like what Carnegie did, building all the. I'm deciding. The I'm stress. deciding whether to
2: dunk on you or to like <laughs> steal land you. So like did Jesse already did the bunk, so yeah. The the Steel Man is basically it's. I think there is something like aesthetically very bland and like you know concrete building about it. Like I'm gonna make all this money and then I'm gonna hand it off to like you know the various like bureaucrats of these like other charities and it's gonna sort of like filter through. There's there's at least something a little bit lifeless about it aesthetically, uh, even if you like the results of what the charities are doing. Okay, so one of the interesting
0: questions I think also here is the the strategy with respect to kind of the legal the the international legal ramifications and the jurisdiction. So one of the one of the themes of the network age podcast for those of you listening who have never listened to the network age yet, um, you know, you talk a lot about the you know the decentralization of power around the world, the the becoming mobile of of power, and, and the way in which in the network age, you know, different jurisdictions are going to be competing for capital in kind of n- increasingly exciting and dynamic ways, and it's not at all clear that the, the U.S. is going to, you know, win that race. In many ways, the U.S. is kind of backwards on, on a lot of these issues at the moment. And so you guys talk a lot about places like El Salvador and, and, and domiciling companies and, and DAOs in and other places. Um, what, are there interesting observations you guys have on that front here? Of course, FTX was domiciled in the Bahamas, I believe. But then there are interesting, strange things where they filed bankruptcy in the US, I think, or something like that, which surprised some people. So I'm not an expert on this, but I know you guys pay attention to this sort of stuff. No around you, especially I know you, you know, you follow the, the legal developments pretty closely. Uh, I know from talking with you, are there interesting observations or or comments to be made here in this regard?
3: It's really interesting to like contrast FTX and Binance. And like, I can't speak for Binance is like custodying of their clients funds. I have no idea how that's actually working. You know, I I saw that CZ had announced that, like, they will show sort of proof of reserves. Um, so that's cool. I think that's nice to, like, have some transparency. I think, like, that doesn't actually mean a ton, though. Like, I think, um, Tim, like, you had mentioned, uh, you had tweeted out that, like, the ease of moving the funds is mm-hmm. so simple in crypto that, like, it doesn't really matter that much if it's in cold storage one second, it might move very right, quickly. Right, right. Um, so, like, but, but contrasting those two, right, FTX and Binance and, like, their approaches, right, FTX was very much like, let's try to nerf defi let's like take a u.s regulatory approach and binance has like been consistently saying we're not headquartered anywhere it's one of the first companies in a very long time to say that right we're like we're not headquartered anywhere and like they go <laughs> around the world and they're trying to find a jurisdiction they've been talking to singapore um there was an announcement about like a free trade zone in nigeria that they were negotiating and then also they were in turned Asia out to a be a scam <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> Some prince wanted <laughs> to offer them like a principality <laughs> within Nigeria. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but they are also negotiating with El Salvador. Um, you know, CZ was meeting at the presidential level here in El Salvador. And so like, yeah, they're, they're very much in this kind of like where can we, like kind of jurisdictional uh, shopping in a way that I don't think FTX was. Like, of course, um, just, you know, their ex-US was headquartered in the Bahamas, but they had a very like US focus with kind of where they were lobbying kind of how they were thinking about it even who they were tar- targeting doing like Super Bowl ads. So I, I think there's a really interesting contrast there between Binance and FTX. That is an interesting uh, detail. I like that comparison. But I guess one question I would have for you guys, I, if, you, if
0: you happen to know is, if Sam Bankman-Fried is this, you know, kind of power hungry, super ambitious, Alexander the Great kind of mentality, then wouldn't he have engineered the legal matters and the, the, the legal structures behind FTX and Alameda and how these things are, are connected? wouldn't he have engineered them in such a way that if things were to hit the fan like they are right now, he would be maximally legally insulated? Like, um, it doesn't seem like he did that or did he? Well,
2: so man, I actually wanted to get back to a point earlier, but just to answer that, I mean, the, like we can't separate the, you know, the situation from the amphetamines like, and I think people sometimes have this like impression that like, oh, if someone's American and knows how the American system works, they'll be sort of super sophisticated. And one thing people forget is like, there's just a lot of people in America doing really shady stuff and like just sort of YOLOing really hard and sort of the American way. I mean, it honestly, it honestly is, especially, you know, even maybe in contrast with Europe, although you can find that there as well. So I'm like never that surprised when someone gets in deep and does that. And I don't think it like sort of validates like they're going for power. They just think no one's going to like, no one's going to find it and keep it was almost right. But going back to the network age aspect, I actually when you ask that, I'm starting to find SBF actually pretty interesting as kind of like a proto network age like power lord where <laughs> he's basic where he's actually like if you look at what he did, he didn't go through necessarily like the traditional like, you know, do us like do a startup and go through like a long thing and then exit it. He did it like explicitly in crypto because that provided like a very like rapid path uh it also had something that like you know regulators were interested in so there was a sort of something to like trade with them there were like also like cool narratives and essentially he's building this completely digital power base that he could run from anywhere it happened to be the bahamas and sure he made this like slightly cringe move that was maybe too early uh or too ambitious to try to use that, like, newly acquired power to, like, take over the U.S. government. Uh, Which is, like, a big, that's a big power play. And, like, maybe he would have gotten really far in it. I don't know. He was, he was doing pretty well in his, like, you know, speed run of, like, you know, going, of going to the top. But I do think that that playbook, and then you could look at CZ as doing a much more methodical, slower version of it. But that could end with CZ effectively, like, owning a country uh, or, like, exercising power over multiple countries. Um, because of just the sheer, not just the amount of money, but the fact that the money's flexible, it can go to anywhere. It can be like injected when you want it. I think there's like a lot to learn for those of us who like are interested in like acquiring power in the network age from SPF, both positively <laughs> and negatively. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so how, so, so, so how do
0: we fill the power vacuum that SPF has left open okay. now? How, how, how do we fill it in a way that's ethical and sustainable and is, and is not going to get got?
2: I mean, I'm probably too much of a pansy to do his strategy, which is to like, you know, explicitly just sort of go for the gold right away. Like, you know, take over, like, you know, lobby the yeah. SEC. Um, I would I, like until assaults are hard. Like, I think that if you go the season, like, so one really interesting thing, Neil Ron, I forget the exact number. But we were talking about this the other day. If you look at finance's market share, at, like in crypto,
3: it's insanely high. In Terms of just how X much of, the highest, like the next second place was one ninth the market share,
2: yeah. So was, they're they have like something like 70% of the market share while completely eschewing the US and not in like a haha, you can use a VPN way, you can't use Binance if you're in the US. Um, and so he's like rather than doing a frontal assault, doing this like very careful, methodical approach that very much has him out of jail. He doesn't try to visit the US, like it probably you know, actually, SDF mocked him for, I think, not being able to visit the U.S. in like a tweet uh, right before the, uh, <laughs> the Untergang. Um, but like, uh, he, I think there's, as he like builds that up, there's still the opportunity for him to do an SPF type thing. So I think if you see him be able to Singapore's tough, they're really wealthy and they sort of like almost outsize him and also have a strong military. I think there's countries like, you know, various Latin American ones like El Salvador that are looking for crypto where he might be able to make a strong entrance just by providing so much of like, you know, an economic engine, uh, or lobbying. Do you guys have angles on this or, I mean, let's game it out. Like what, what, what
0: would you do if you were (laughs) hypothetically going to build the vehicle that would, uh, fill the power vacuum, take over a country or take over the world right now? Like what, (laughs) um, where do you domicile the company? What are you building? Who are you talking to? What kind of alliances, you know, like how much Adderall do
3: you need? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how much Adderall C Z on. I, I think I agree to left where like he is doing the right approach. I think Binance like is the correct one to study like because like they're not in a rush. They can mm-hmm. basically put each jurisdiction against each other and keep hitting them for like the best deal possible. Um, and as crypto's market uh, cap goes up, C Z becomes more and more powerful. So in, But like, isn't the 20- isn't mm-hmm. Isn't Binance in, in some kind of unspoken
0: partnership with the Communist Party, though? That's like part of the part of the secret sauce, is it not?
2: Mm-hmm. scandal. I, I could be totally really, wrong. I like... have to check your sources. Yeah. I don't think I think I was under the impression that CZ was more in the like sort of Chinese diaspora like kind of thing where he is not like doing the like explicitly sort of not doing the china enabled part as much but i could be I okay maybe be that's a rumor or maybe i just misheard or i i'm not I'm not I, well informed I, all, I, so. I would expect that rumor regardless of whether it's true or not so i can't like, mm. speak to it and again yeah. maybe some of our listeners will show you yeah. like really compelling documentation um but i like, i get your question which is not just sort of this raw thing of power but how do you game that out what's like what steps do you start taking um i mean the first thing i would start doing is i would try to start Well, so first of all, they don't domicile anywhere, which I think is like a really smart first step, like to always be a free agent. And what you want to do then is not domicile somewhere, but start giving jurisdictions like something. So I would want ones that like are sort of strong enough to have to be able to like physically protect me militarily, like in some sense, but mostly just that they're small. Like, so not unless like you can't go to like whatever these like tiny, like 10,000 person countries or whatever you find some like tax jurisdiction. But like a few million people where you can make like a real dent is what I would be looking for, where you fi- again, I would just be looking for like either jobs or income or attracting things there. But then you're going to want to like, I mean, seriously, I would probably start building up like private military capabilities that you could like, you know, <laughs> lend out to like different kind like different countries um, and organize. That's always a little bit tricky, but at a certain scale. You take scale, your yield
1: in uh, Blackwater soldiers.
2: yeah exactly just like the the staking yields go directly to Moose well actually I mean
0: no Ron were you about to say something sorry it looked like maybe you had something
3: yeah I would just say like to that point you need to like have your own you need to be secure in your own person Um, Mm -hmm. so you want to lock that in that's like really and that's like not that dissimilar from like a drug lord right like if if you look at some of the Pablo Escobar type takeaways like you want to do some of that but while not being explicitly legal. So there's no strong state that can really hit you. So you want to have enough personal protection, enough security that, you know, it would take a lot of state resources and also ideally don't piss off that state with enough capacity to hit you. In that yeah, position, in Yeah. It's
0: fascinating this dimension. I, I, it makes you kind of wonder what he's doing right now. Do, isn't it an interesting question? Like, how is he going to play this? Like, is he going to try to abscond? Is he going to try like, how do you guys have a read on like what, what, what's going to happen next or is it just too hard it's, to, it's, too it's hard to, hard to
2: just sitting in the Bahamas right now?
0: I, well, yeah, I think there was a false story or like a, there was a rumor that his plane, his plane had absconded to Argentina or something like that. And then I think he I testified that, like, not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, is there any way that he like basically gets away with this by, I don't know, amassing an army or private security, or, I mean, I kind of think the John McAfee no. story is kind of interesting in this regard, like, right. Like he could, he could maybe go on the run. Obviously John McAfee would not be, uh, he was not as wanted as, as SBF probably would be. Right. So, um, how yeah, does this cash out you anymore?
1: You know, like so well, much, so much of that money. Well, is I don't know. So uh,
0: another detail for people listening who don't, yeah. yeah so for people, for people who are just. Tuning into the story, yeah, another detail is that um after all this happened and FTX imploded, um, suddenly it just turned out that FTX was hacked uh allegedly and all of the funds in the FTX like admin wallets were drained. And so um obviously the allegation or the assumption that people make is that um there and apparently there's some kind of backdoor in the in the code, right? Where like apparently the the the, the code was such that SBF could move money out of the exchange funds into personal funds without that being uh, tracked or or visible to auditors, apparently. Uh, so if that's true, again, this is all allegations. It's all like waiting to shake out. But if that is true, that would be some of the most stark evidence that, in fact, this was like a pretty sociopathic uh, power play fr- from the get-go, right? Totally, yeah.
1: Like,
3: if, I mean, if
0: it is
1: true that uh, SBF had that backdoor put in there, has taken the money... I think it's pretty difficult to read him as someone who just got in over his head, or maybe uh, maybe this is just it's still continuing a spiral out, and you know, and he looks unwell, and maybe in his head he he thinks this is is the only way to do it. He's he's got he's gonna get that fight, <laughs> hack that five hundred million. Give away 499 million and then spend the rest of his life. You
0: know, yeah. He could, for his he, well, I, I don't know. I mean, he could, he, he <laughs> could. he like could have personal funds,
2: like, you know, doing transactions to charities before like, the <laughs> <best of it>. <laughs> <laughs> he could have,
0: he could Holy. have substantial personal funds and he could decide to go on the run or he could decide to do some kind of crazy, right? Cause this, if he is such a kind of motivated, power hungry, strategic thinker, willing to make really, really big bets, um, no matter that the downside. Then it stands to reason that the next move in the story could be like he he does some kind of next play to try to get out of this or something. I'm just kind of maybe not, but I'm just curious if if you got if your minds go to go to anything there. The thing about him trying. uh
1: Yeah. Well I was gonna say like the thing about him being on the run is is he uh, the port being premeditated. He's got such a distinctive hairstyle that I don't <laughs> think he saved it, I would be able to recognize him. And in that way, it mm. be a smart move to to set yourself up you're in your head everyone's head with this a fro, and then you shave it you grow a goatee and i think i think no one can pick him out anymore
2: <laughs> yeah it's fascinating <laughs> okay. I mean Just who's appear. that bald man
3: with breasts who looks like sdf without a fro <laughs> yeah why is he <laughs> drinking so much soy uh yeah like well, okay. that's exactly what you okay don't do right you've now like defrauded a million u.s consumers mm-hmm. so like the u.s basically has to go after you this is exactly what you don't want to do with the network age thesis like you don't want the u.s like basically right. obligated to go after you that's what you like you can only defraud like
1: Bangladeshis or somebody you know people who aren't
3: gonna like honestly go legitimately like yeah obviously you shouldn't defraud anyone but like yeah to that point like You can't like CZ by not defrauding Americans, by actually cutting all Americans. Like I was doing the VPN using Binance, right? And then my account was shut down because they're like, you know, you KYC with a US passport or or driver's license, Mm -hmm. which and so like they've put themselves in a position where they can't really end up pissing off very powerful countries directly in a way that kind of has a clean narrative where it's like the US is going after you because you stole funds from a million of our citizens. So but, you,
2: but you by look, the same by the same token, and I think this was that Justin was getting it with the original question. Token. I also ha-ha, there we go. I also don't yet see CZ's path to power because, like, a big part of power is that you also have to be able to sort of broker things, and people have to be like need like need to need in some sense. And so he hasn't really <laughs> done enough yet in that regard. Whereas, like, just as again as a proof of concept, SBF was very much going for you know. If you want to do like, you know, crypto, like, you know, finance, like you have to go through FDX, if you're in the US, like he was sort of going for that angle. And there's like all these other pieces that you have to put together. Like, I think people jump way fast to the like, you know, personal security, private army stuff and miss the whole part about, okay, why do people even care about, you know, let's like, and we say on CZ, but still like CZ, like, there's a lot of billionaires in the world. Um, and it's, it's much, it's one thing to be that. And it's another thing for people to sort of like need you. To be like the on ramp to something is like this whole other part that you would want to like start working out with your jurisdictions of choice or or online jurisdictions of choice is sort of a whole other thing. Like maybe maybe the play you do if you're him is like you find a way to like I don't as a, as a crazy just wacky example of the kinds of things I'd be looking at like you know. Buy Twitter, take it private, and like move it fully offshore. So it's like sort of like this, like now this like internet free for all that you're turning into like this crazy web two platform with crypto. I mean that would be interesting. That's the kind of thing Elon can't do because of the you know direction he's taking. But yeah, I would actually start looking. He just wants to be wanted. Exactly, but but um, I guess this actually I think people when they think about getting power in the network age, they jump too quickly to thinking of. How do I take over like physical properties and jurisdictions? And that's, you know, important for your personal safety. But what I would really be looking at is how do you take over the most important digital properties that are seen as like unassailable? Like I would probably, revealing What's my inner play? sociopath, I would probably start it with the thought experiment of you take sort of this crazy unimaginable goal of like, what would it take for me to take over v And also sort of rip it out of like, you know, it's US context. And you play through that, you see where that goes. And then you start seeing, okay, what are some targets that are, you know, one notch below that, uh, that might be assailable, or, yeah, or that I, I like could create, do, are is there a digital property I want to create that like, you know, t- like
3: cuts those out. Yeah. I like that in that, like, you know, Saudi Arabia, for example, has a ton of money. Um, and they're, they're having trouble having physical power. Like they still rely mm-hmm. on the U S for security in a big way. You know, they had tried to sort of pivot to like a Russia, China alliance. Um, then Russia obviously can't export weapons currently. So that kind of Ruins the whole physical play that Saudi Arabia was going for. They also so, like, can't moving, do
2: digital plays. Like, they, like, no, their money isn't, isn't good there. They'll, like, end up, like, you know, indirectly investing through SoftBank in order to buy, like, you know, private companies we and possibly like, marked up valuations. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you get yeah, no, your rough. money is good for buying WeWork. <laughs>
3: That's Yeah. Yes, listing out the core digital private assets kingdom assets and pulling them is really interesting. Kingdom. Yeah.
2: I'm just imagining, like, MBS, like, you know, visiting each of his Wii yeah. works. So, like, <laughs> as sort of a yurtle-to-turtle thing. Like, looking yeah. over, like, everything I can see just, in this wee work. And just being another glass of breath.
1: food, sir?
3: <laughs> oh, every, every wee work has a torture chamber in the back. For- <laughs> <laughs> what were we going to say, no, run? Yeah, just, like, no, I, I think Target those digital assets and also think ahead. This is something we talked a little bit about before we started recording, Justin, but like think ahead to like 2030, like what are the new digital realms that are emerging? Like right now, crypto is still relatively small, you know, it's what, like around a trillion market cap. Um, So it's still pretty small, but kind of think ahead. And I think that's something that's really great about this FTX crash is it's like, okay, we probably can't like trust uh, centralized exchanges, even if they're showing they have the reserves today. It's just way too easy for like a hack that occurs 600 million is gone. Um, so I think it's it's a huge boon to DeFi. It's also a huge boon to Urbit and like that entire play. So I think we need to start planning more ahead to like, all right, what does it look like in 10 years? Like where where are we trying to get to? How decentralized is it?
0: Yeah, that's great. So let let's move into the future then, because as I said at the beginning of this podcast, this is probably uh, if not definitely one of the craziest things that's happened in the crypto industry to date, just because, like I said, SBF was seen as as a blue chip figure, FTX was seen as a blue as the blue chip exchange. It was one of the very biggest in the world, and it imploded overnight due to the founding team being apparently quite sketchy and um, you know not trustworthy. And so this is just basically puncturing so many people's. Core narratives, essentially. I mean, there are many v- VC firms that have uh, boosted FTX and SBF that were ultra confident in, in SBF and FTX. And uh, pretty much everyone, all of the institutional players, all of the kind of big, well known marquee brands in VC and, and the emerging crypto industry were super bullish on FTX and SBF. And it turns out that they were all wrong. And so this is very likely going to be a, a massive watershed. Uh, but the interesting questions are all about, you know, what comes next and, uh, to, to what exactly is this a watershed? Uh, so let's talk about that a bit.
2: Well, let's just start with one important thing, which is that at its core, like they're all investing in FTX. It's like, you know, going, you know, hockey stick, like it's not that interesting a product in the sense that a world where FTX like wildly succeeds is not a pretty, it's not a very different or very interesting world. Um, and I think that's relevant because in, this, in what we were just talking about with digital properties in terms of what you're trying to acquire or build and where your power base is coming from, like all of these funds, like both what SBF himself is building and what these funds are investing in, it doesn't really, yeah, take you anywhere different. So I think that we can move to like what's next in crypto. But I think that if like what this is really the end of is like it's the it was was sort of like the last gasp uh in my opinion of like trying to like squeeze some more water out of the crypto stone without having to produce anything new like you know bitcoin was a big deal e-smart contracts like were a big deal we've like you know and you know so i think things like in layer twos are very cool but we're like pretty close to the end of like you know the institutions are going to buy our bags kind of thing and we just need some like uh, you know, good platforms for them to trade on. Why are they trading there? Like, if like nothing's actually happening, who knows, but like, let's like make that happen really efficiently.
0: Well, yeah, that's a great uh, point. Oh, just real quick. So for people listening who are not that deep into crypto, uh, might just bear going over that FTX was a centralized exchange. So what Tim is referring to is the fact that the FTX as a product is not actually even really crypto. It's just a software. It's just a piece of a very normal web software that uh, in a centrally organized way connects buyers and sellers of, of crypto assets. So compare FTX, which is a centralized exchange to something like Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange, something like Uniswap is new and interesting and, and kind of remarkable that you can have a, a trading platform, you can have an exchange that is just a, a piece, a totally decentralized piece of software, a protocol that sits there with no um, you know uh, CEO deciding what happens, um, but a team of people governing it. A massively distributed team of of people governing a piece of software that does all of the trading and the market making itself. Um, that's you know a decentralized exchange, something like Uniswap. That's interesting and new. FTX is really um, just this old school um, system, a centralized a centralized mm-hmm. exchange, and, and that's what Tim Luck is referring to. So um, that's something for people to to understand. That what failed here is not actually crypto exactly. What fit and certainly not DeFi. What what failed was trust in a human being to provide uh, an old school service that was basically um a scam so that's what failed and interestingly that's not even really crypto
2: well and yeah. just to finish that thought it's not even like using sort of this trad service to unlock some particularly interesting thing like use of crypto it's just like you know making trading more efficient and letting you do some like you know futures, unless you make different types of bets about like the direction of crypto. It's not unlocking new capabilities that will like drive its fundamental value.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Tim, like this goes to something that we were sort of talking about um, earlier. And I, don't know, I wrote a, a, an article that I'll probably publish later today that was sort of making a similar point is that um, no, you know, for all the talk of uh, all these people who lost a ton of money, and I'm very sympathetic to those people, I certainly didn't see um, the FTX collapse coming. I don't think even people who disliked FTX or were, uh, saw it coming for yeah, the most sure. part. Um, but I was saying that most of the interesting, smart people I know in crypto were not really affected by this because the interesting people were not on FTX because FTX isn't interesting. It wasn't actually creating new value or holding to the, to the values that are interesting about crypto, you know, decentralization. Um, democratization for whatever that words, buzz, buzzword is worth. There's no ingenuity. And so in terms of answering your question, Justin, about where what does this mean for the future of crypto, I actually think the answer is very little on a sort of long enough timescale because FTX was never the future of um, a crypto that really succeeds and reaches its, its potential. It had one foot in this old world and anything that was really going to transform crypto from a speculative like dog coin money printing pump and dump business to something that we are using on a daily basis to unlock new types of um, human connectivity and um, new use cases, that was always going to be completely separate from FTX. And the people who are building those things are still
2: building them. And let's like even clarify for our listeners even more when you're saying that like FTX wasn't enabling anything really cool or transformative to be built. We're not just like saying that, um, I don't know, this like super crypto maximalist view. It's not hard to conceive of like sort of a Web 2 type uh, project that even, you know, maybe the Stripe cucks like love uh, that does like Look, if you spend enough, I've sort of immersed myself in that, like, you know, ho- alternatingly, like, horrible and interesting morass of, like, the way traditional investors, like, traditional sort of tech investors think about things, um, just to, like, you know, get in bed with the enemy. Um, and yeah, they, they, they love this, like, sort of, you know, execution, um, you know, you're doing something, like, user go up. But I think, like, to, to steelman their position, it's not hard to imagine a company like, I mean, I think their stated ambition for something uh-huh. like Replit is to integrate crypto to their thing and unlock new possibilities for that as an operating system in much the same way like that Urbit wants to do. Uh, and in a new article I'm writing, I'll mention that briefly, so we'll see who gets no get who gets the clicks? Out. But yeah, just <laughs> like I think um, yeah, I think that FTX wasn't trying to do anything interesting for crypto, and so interesting people in crypto were not interested by it. Do you guys, do you guys think that though, this is going to trigger
0: a massive shift towards, um, things like, you know, hardware wallets and preferences for decentralization. And is this, is this not going to make people just more, um, eager and committed to, to more sovereign forms of, of activity, whatever the case might be. I mean, to, to me, I feel like that's a logical expectation, right? It's like so many people have gotten burned in the past few months from having their money on exchanges. You don't think that's going to make people say, okay, from now from now on, I'm getting more serious about, you know, so- my own sovereignty when it comes to this stuff. You don't think so?
2: At the margin. Like, yeah. at the very margin. That, that matters, but, like, when you're talking about something that, you know, eventually you want broad adoption, I don't think the issue for hardware wallets was that, like, people sort of are, like, on the fence of which to use. It's much more binary. Like, the people who are into them, like, use them, and the people who don't, don't. There's a small margin that doesn't. So I think that the thing that will drive it is supply and not demand. I think there'll be a tiny bit of extra demand for that stuff, but supply has to be increased in terms of like much better like user experience, which takes like real (laughs) work. It's not just like, I think people sometimes think of user experience as like, we should tell everyone that we should have good user experience in crypto. Did you know that there's bad user experiences in crypto? But like, there's like real technical work.
3: Mm, Sure, sure. That experience got much better. You know over the last since crypto has been around like over the last 12 years there's been a massive improvement just with hardware wallets versus mm-hmm. you know generating your own paper wallet so like that that continues i think having like your Urbit wallet having you know ha- having ukbar having lightning integration having obviously the bitcoin wallet on your Urbit. i think there's like a lot of i, I agree i think it's mostly supply it's like the product needs to get better um, yeah, maybe like a tiny percent will move their funds off Coinbase. But keep in mind, like Mt. Gox, right, that got hacked. That was a huge deal. And like people still had massive amounts of crypto on centralized exchanges. Subsequently, like Coinbase still custodies a lot of crypto. So, yeah, I think the, the services for consumers need to get better to really shift that. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: okay, fair enough. Well, I guess from my perspective, it, it seems to me that this is just going to basically deflate so many of the dominant kind of narratives and 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 conventional wisdoms that circulate right now around crypto and it's kind of like to me in a way and not to make light of it i know a lot of people have gotten really wrecked and and i i don't mean to be glib in any way whatsoever um but but i do think for delivery no, no, no. I, no, no. Um, you're you're making me laugh <laughs> now, mean, but, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> but um, no, no, I, I think I just think so. So yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pour one out for the homies who, who lost a lot of money. And I really do feel for you. But I think on the other hand, also, this feels to me really bullish for all of the people who are building actually really visionary shit in crypto that is all about decentralization and self-sovereignty. Uh, because, you know, there was for a while, for the past several months, there was kind of this feeling of like, you know, is crypto really just going to be like, you know, these, these big dominant incumbent companies building web two front ends and the, the old big VC firms just moving into crypto and, and, and staying on top in crypto, you know, it kind of felt for a while. It was like, you know, these certain really naive, uh, simplistic conventional wisdoms were hardening. A lot of the incumbents were just like moving over in this very superficial way, positioning themselves to to, to continue being incumbent in, in in what ought to be like a revolutionary upheaval. So for for a long time, things felt very, you know, almost like underwhelming and, and almost boring or, or mundane. Whereas now it feels to me like everyone we thought was on top is maybe no longer going to be on top. And everything that people thought was certain, all of a sudden, no one's going to believe that. And in fact, people are going to actively be rejecting that which was seen as as conventional. And on the other hand, all of those kind of dark horses in crypto, which a few months ago, people were kind of like, eh, nah, I don't think that could ever work. All of a sudden, people are going to be like, oh, maybe that's going to be the new blue chip. So obviously, I'm kind of thinking about Urbit here. I feel like this is really bullish for Urbit. Cause in my perspective, it's like the past few months, Urbit has kind of always been like the dark horse of crypto, like a, a really visionary, promising, exciting thing that a lot of the smartest people behind closed doors will say, yeah, this could be the future. But for some reason, it never got hype. It never, never like kind of picked in, picked up in the narrative. It never got like mainstream um, you know, appeal or, or, or hype to me, it feels like the perfect setup for Urbit because it's like, this is showing that FTX and things like FTX were way overvalued. So therefore, maybe all the things that were, you know, um, not hyped in the past few years are going to be the new hype. And that's the thing where the real action is. Um, that's what it kind of feels like to me, but what do you guys do you think? Want me,
2: do you want me to like, sort of agree with that and then pick it apart? Like, whatever, so- whatever, whatever you think is interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think where, where to start with that. So, I agree that it, like, one of the best things about it that uh, is that it just burns down everyone who had a reputation. And a lot of people had a reputation because, like, they made a lot of money, and now, A, the money's gone, so that's nice. But also, you feel this, like, freedom to not have to respect them. Even FTX, before it, you had to be like, well, I don't like SBF, but, like, you know, you've got to give him credit. He's a damn good trader. And, like, it, like you have to do that. And the same goes for these, like, fucking retard funds, like multi coin with like Kyle Samani, like posting his retardation nonstop, um, you know, and like, they're just like wrecked. like we don't have to like worry about them. They all go into like the EOS bucket like forever. It's awesome. Uh, so I think people are going, are sleeping on how I feel like I'm like bankless here. Like people are really sleeping on how bullish this is David, like for crypto. Um, and like, but I-, I really do think that it like feeds ambition, like very heavily. Uh, because like now this whole new group of people can like, it, it feels like just everything's like clear with regard to Urbit specifically for prior events. Um, we would like for tornado cash, we would get advice. Like this is Urbit's moment. Now you have to show how it's like, you know, decentralized discord or something like that. And it's like, it was these very small time things. And I think this like complete, like, you know, just cutting everything down, burning it down, like, you know, salting the fields. Um, it feels like Urbit now and in particular things like, you know, that I'm working on like Bookbar, where you can go like, you know, uh where you're integrating uh <clears throat> you know crypto natively into it. Uh it feels like you can just go for the full vision. Like you don't have to say like, oh, maybe we do some like decentralized like front ends or DeFi apps. Like, no, we're building an operating system to orchestrate crypto so that we can have the interesting applications that like are the only way we can get out of this bear market. And whether I'm right or not, obviously I'm sort of overly biased thinking I'm right because I'm an optimistic founder type, but whether I'm right or not, there's going to be other people thinking the same thing for their projects, and some of them are going to be right, and they're also going to have, like, oxygen to take. So it's going to be this combination of, on the one hand, like, further effort, further energy, further ambition, uh, and on the other hand, like, sort of room for that ambition to do something because everyone's, like, desperate, like, you know... Like Ryan's just like looking around for how like David can find someone to pump their bags and like, there's no one to be about.
1: Perhaps we need another, uh, young charismatic founder uh, to, uh, to step in and take the reins. that
0: never goes wrong. Well, you no know, one. I think we need, I think we need dozens of those. We need like this, like for everyone out there, basically who feels, who feels like they have hiding inside of them, you know, an Alexander, the great type figure, now there's this power vacuum everyone out there who's been like on top is totally shown to be swimming naked. So it's like, if you feel called to be an Alexander the Great type character, now is your chance to come out of nowhere, work hard, you know, learn Hoon <laughs> and uh, go all in on Erbit. Because Erbit, Erbit is going to be the vehicle. I mean, what do you guys think about this? Am, am, I, am I just like, is this just wishful thinking? Or do you guys agree? Because it, it feels to me like over the next few months, people are just going to be super down on crypto. Everyone is going to be like, you know, there's already people t- you know, crypto skeptics taking victory laps saying like, oh, I told you this is all fake. It's all going to zero. This is over. Crypto industry is dead. There are a lot of people saying that. And um, I think that that's going to be a common conception for the next several months. And I think people are going to be really low on it, really skeptical of everything, really pessimistic. But then what's going to happen, I think, is really head head turning shit is going to come out of orbit, like real applications being built on things like Akbar, that you can actually see people playing with, you see users actually doing cool shit on Erbit with crypto that you can't do anywhere else. And the proof is going to be in the pudding. It's like, this is a new thing. This is a new paradigm. This is about sound computing and about a seamless execution with novel crypto applications. When that starts coming out of Erbit and people are seeing it, seeing users using it, I think like that's going to be, in my opinion, the most likely kind of narrative to to kind of bring crypto back from the dead that it's currently in am, am i just like wish is this just wishful thinking or do you see something similar or a how do you
3: bit. think it's going to play out yeah i think it's more than just crypto you know like there's a lot of just like black-pilled people across the board like um i know in like when kind of the original web zero talks you know that, that yeah. there were kind of that discussion right about just like where are like people feel like tech is stuck Right. So this idea that just like tech is stuck and I think Urbit's going to have a huge impact on crypto, but also on the broader, um, the way that people view technology. And I think it's, that's why it's like so important to really like, just think ahead to what Urbit will deliver and like, it's already delivering some of it, but there's so much more coming down the pike where it's just like, okay, you actually, um, it's like what you did Justin, right? Where you got the page app built in a day. And then like, you could, you know, you can start crowdfunding apps really easily and then all the users in a community could use an app um, and you could crowdfund that using crypto and you could do that off of like a poll, like the holy um created their poll app. Um, so just like that experience of just like connecting uh, communities to capital, getting them to actually be able to make um, changes to their experience that improve the way they're interacting. Like there's so many narratives that Urbic can win on. Like I was chatting with uh Rob Nistrick for last night about this. Just like, yeah, obviously there's the computing you own, but there's also just like a dev experience that's really easy that um you can, you know, build an app in a day and not have to spend a ton of time maintain it. It's easy to ship it. Obviously Ukbar is doing Urbit as sort of the crypto operating system. There's also just this idea that like monopolies will get crushed and that like, you know, in the future, you're not gonna have just like one Twitter because it's gonna, because the back end is divorced from the front end that way, Um, when, you know, you fork Twitter and create a new front end for it, you know, you don't have to tell everyone to, uh, move over to this new app. It can still be backwards compatible. So I think it's just like this idea that like we've been stuck with monopolies in tech for so long, it's been really kind of just like soul crushing where you're just like, okay, there's like one app, there's no ability to really change our experience with it. So I think we just need to like, really, these, these narratives are like, they're strong. And now there's like apps... And actual development that's sort of backing up each of these narratives, and it's moving forward pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, hmm. I think that makes sense. I th- to uh, to agree that like people are down in crypto and like looking at what the next narrative is going to be. I do think that they're what eventually will turn this around. Are you know is like a, a useful application layer, something that extends beyond just finance which is appearing to be more and more um, smoke and mirrors. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, URBIT's in an interesting position because, you know, I'm I'm relatively new to it in, in the grand scheme of things, but even, um, you know, like a year ago, URBIT would not necessarily have been ready for this moment. And uh, it's in the last couple of months, we've seen a ton of developments um, coming out uh, make the user experience better, you know, Things like Realm and Scene are coming. Uh, Ukbar's testnet launched and we're getting closer and closer to having real usable crypto apps there. Even something like Justin, what you put together to have um, buying a planet and getting hosted be a one-click experience. At the very least, I think Urbit is putting its best foot forward to take advantage of this moment. And it's starting to be in a position where you will have really concrete stuff to show people. And I get, I guess so. And in that way, I agree with you to how quick this is all going to happen. I'm not sure, but I think that what will make Urbit win when it does is, is really concrete use cases and a streamlined experience for both developers and users. And that's, that's going to be a, a process. I don't think that this happens overnight because everyone is sad about FTX, but I do think that it, Urbit is well positioned to be a a big player in the, in the next narrative.
2: I think Herbert's ready to be talked about. Like, I think it's ready to fuel a narrative and I think like a year, ago, right? Well, I think that there's enough there to show people that you can actually start having an interesting narrative and that's more important than you think right now, because one big problem in tech in general is everybody is really bored. Like value agents are all down. Nothing is interesting. Fundamental computing experiences haven't changed much. Crypto got kind of stuck. Software is like not as fun for like the people building it. It's like for the people using it, it feels like it's been a while since there's been magical new experiences. Like to the point where whenever someone describes a magical new experience, it's some like 5% better SaaS product or something. Like <laughs> that's, wow- that's wowing them. And so I think at the very least what Urbit can do right now is it can be in this like almost, I don't know early DeFi position like in like the 2019 2018 bear where people are building stuff and it's cool it's not quite out there like not everyone's like using it yet but you can like get excited about it for where it's gonna go and that gives it a little bit of room to like grow into and i think the growing into is getting is getting really close and so i think like we're sort of in this phase of the narrative where we want to you know probably show some of the cool options for applications that could happen, then, you know, maybe cycle back to what developers can do and unlocking that and actually show people some magical new stuff. And I realized the irony of doing it on this pod where we're like, not doing that yet. Um, But it's, it's like, it's very soon. And I think we're ready for this moment after the FTX grieving period ends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tim, you alluded to before this meme that was really dominant for a while, this this idea that the institutions are coming. This was like, you know, for months, for, for many months, it was like everyone who was into crypto was kind of like, you know, every, it was like daily, you know, checking checking CoinGecko and 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 looking and checking the news, like have the institutions come today? Like are they coming? What like are my bags gonna pump when? You know, um, whatever, like the the big banks I can, join I can, or whatever.
2: I can I can steal, I mean, I can steal man that. So the way that that narrative all goes is in the last bear market in crypto, uh, you had like the Bitcoin standard come out. People got really into the idea of this almost like teleological money where it has like, where it's sort of like, because of its attributes, it's like predestined to take over the world. It's very, it's like very attractive. And even like once COVID happened and everyone went to like, you know, risk on and trying to like, you know, outrun inflation um, in assets. Um, you know, even institutional investors were starting to do that. Like it was real. Bitcoin's price like was going up. And I think the version that people were thinking is, okay, like we might not have stuff we can do with this yet, but let's just like see if we can get, you know, $10 trillion of like, you know, outside wealth into crypto and have that like sort of stay there and then innovate on it. There's like, you know, clear paths we can do maybe, you know, okay, we'll do DeFi with wrapped Bitcoin or ETH will go crazy and then we'll be able to use that as like, you know, the base in here. And I think what's been taken away, and obviously then the combination of like, you know, the Fed kind of crushing risk on assets and people sort of getting disillusioned with that inflation hedge narrative. um, And then just sort of the, the general like stagnation and not having all that money in there to play with and to like build on. That's mostly taken that away. And I think Maybe there's an alternate timeline where that happens. I don't know. Like, maybe we're in the darkest timeline. But in this one, like, we're going, for whatever reason, we're going to have to, like, sort of, you know, as, like, um, Mitchell was saying a second ago, like, finance, for its own sake, doesn't feel very interesting. Because finance isn't that interesting unless you have, like, you know, something backing it that you're, like, doing stuff with. It's just sort of there as it has been in crypto. That's not very interesting. And, you know, we're not going to have the option of like just doing the finance and then building everything else. Uh, we have to build the stuff. And so I think that's what's mostly died. And when people on, you know, your crypto Twitter timeline, I'm assuming everyone here is just like hardcore into crypto Twitter, I don't know, uh, are talking about, you know, I hate the industry or the industry will take years to recover or all that. Uh, pretty much what, they're, what you should read that is, is the kind of fast path monetarily where 10 trillion dollars plus like gets in and then we innovate after that that path is probably closed off so it's very bad for them who are like you know Mm -hmm. holding large bags or like wanted to go uh for people who are more on the technical side it's probably good because you essentially get your power at lower valuations if it works out for you yes Um, yes but yeah it's it's harder for them it's harder for them i think that's a great point and and
0: i think that that drives what i was saying before i see that as well it's like if you have energy and ambition and some skill and hard work, but you don't currently have a big bag in crypto, this FTX fiasco, I think is a really good thing for you comparatively. Whereas like, if you're an old school bag holder, um, a dominant mm-hmm. player in, in, in an industry that was like before well positioned to kind of cash in on the, the institutions coming, if that was your game and that was your bag and you had capital or cultural capital in that context, then obviously. Things are looking very grim for for that type of person comparatively. But I think most of the people who listen to my podcast and certainly myself as well, I kind of identify with that with that first category that I think is uh, relatively uh, advantaged by this this uh, massive fiasco. So I think for listeners of the Other Life podcast, this is mostly a really exciting opportunity. Uh, crypto is like new again. It's like cri- cri- things are more open. Narratives are way more open. Uh, uncertainty is much higher, which like if you're a thinker or a creator or, or building something new, that's like the best kind of context. You want uncertainty to be high. You want narratives to be unsettled. You want everyone to be looking around. Yeah.
2: The problem though is that like half of your listeners are more going to be like, yeah, but I don't know if Urbit's like actually going to make it. And like, Crypto is like pretty down. So maybe I should like be doing this other thing. And like, it'll go like that. And then what will happen is like at some point, it will become very obvious either that Urbit or something similar will work or that like, you know, some innovation has happened that makes crypto, you know, go again, and then they'll, you know, buy back in too high, both in terms of money and investing their time. And I definitely did that in the last, uh, cycle. Like I was definitely probably in the, you know, sort of crypto is dead camp and like going, you know, into, uh, trad things. And at this point, like, yeah, you either sort of get it and have some conviction or you don't, or you're kind of just dumb enough to go in anyway, like the, you know,
3: (laughs) side of the midway meme. It's a really good time though for Urbit to pull in talented developers who don't see other ways that this works, and the ones who and just kind of really pitch them on like, this is going to be a really hard, solid foundation to build on top of for like a very, very long time. Um, so I think that those are the kind of people we should be attracting now, and like, yeah, I, you know, Biche kind of mentioned this too, like yeah, I, I see it not happening like immediately, but I see like immediate ability to pull in more and more people on more like the developer side. Um, to kind of build out that experience. So yeah, I like kind of thinking of it as Tim like was saying, just thinking of it as like DeFi in like 2018, 2019. Um, it's, it's being built. It's going to be awesome. Um, but it's, you know, it's not there yet. So you track the developers. And then once it gets built, you know, retail comes and it compounds,
1: right? I mean, this is like one of the cool things about Urbit being such a good platform for developers. I say as a recent who in school graduate. Uh, newly mentioned in the developer community, I personally will be building all of the future of Urbit. Um, and the, but the fact that it's so good for developers in particular means that this growth will be exponential, right? You build, bringing in those people, um, makes tools easier to build, makes communities larger, gets, um, users in. I think that even if it starts slow, the type of thing that Urbit is and the type of people that it attracts. It makes it really well positioned for long-term growth.
0: Well, you know, I often tell people that um the network age is the only other podcast that is sufficiently bullish on <laughs> herbit. But I but I feel like I, I feel like with four of us in the room right now today, it's almost like we're we're still being a little shy. Like I we're almost we're almost under <laughs> we're almost still understating it because it's like very likely there's going to be a dex on a a decentralized exchange on urbit like probably within a year i would think right well not only that that, that, there will be well
2: dexes are dexes are easy but there will probably be like a sex dex like where you're doing, like you know, a decentralized order book, like you know, yeah. like a sex. Oh, I thought you were going to um, say
0: where you buy, where you buy and sell and trade sex. Uh, that would be uh, it, yeah. kind of interesting. I don't interesting. know. <laughs> it's, it's
2: very hard to make those like real world links, and I don't know if yeah. that's, like the path forward for crypto is like <laughs> they, yeah, they yeah. require a lot of human <laughs> institutions, and it's not very scalable. Uh, so I know that humanoids you, like to copulate, but I'm not able. But, to yeah, I mean, enable yeah, them, prostitution know,
1: is. The uh, the oldest profession and it'll be the last profession, right? I think you know crypto can't get in the way of that uh, that that
0: market. So yeah, so Tim, when you say there's going to be a sex Dex on urbit what what you what what you mean is like a decentralized exchange with a centralized front end, or what do you mean by that exactly? No, no,
2: no, no. no. Like doing that uh, Dex is probably the wrong word. Like I think we're you know. People are working pretty hard on some, like, you know, order book type stuff. Um, or like, you know, actually, exactly the types of financial products you would have on FTX, like futures, perps. Um, and you can like do that better in a layer two context. There's some projects on Starknet, on StarkX, and others that are doing stuff like that, but we will be able to bring that. Um, we're thinking of calling the project FTX because I think the name is free um <laughs> we'll see we'll see what oh, yeah. happens um oh yeah i'm just gonna buy ftx.us
0: right now which just went on the market uh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i think it's i think
2: it's great so um yeah so there's there's a lot lots um, of eat so well, we, yeah, we I, was got say, I was saying like it's all it's sort of <laughs> pre-sponsored like whenever people watch heat games they'll like actually you know i think they
1: took they experiment. took the ftx down right it was sort of surprised me i guess i just they left it that up that for was...
2: a day or two after the crash like i don't know if it's still there or not i someone posted a picture from their window of like the
1: FTX stuff to remove from the
2: oh no but on the fl- so on the post crash on the floor of a game it still had the ftx oh nice yeah we got a very it like yeah collector's item
0: So, so Neil Run, Neil Run, you were talking before about, you know, the year 2030 and kind of thinking about the long-term future, like from where we currently are, you know, like what, what does this recent fiasco teach us about what to expect in the longer term? Like what, why does your mind go to 2030 and, and what do you see there?
3: It's just like, I think it's looking at the urban roadmap. I think that's like a year that like you've that a lot of like really exciting things will already be implemented by then. Um
0: So what's the craziest shit that you think we'll have in in, in 8 years from now? Like on the 8th year, like what 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 what's going to ship on the 8th <laughs> year that's just like holy fuck.
3: <laughs> yeah, so just first off I think like a lot of the internet will be rebuilt on orbit and so that's like I think this is just the foundation to build on. And so like when you think of it it's sort of like when, when you just like take that for granted. I and mean, you we kind of picture ahead to that future. It's just like, it looks really crazy because we've like moved off of these like, mo- uh, monopolistic, really boring platforms, uh, like Facebook and Twitter into basically just like, I think the most exciting thing is just like spinning up almost like the social AI where like communities can like spin up DAOs really easily and actually take the action that they want very easily. And that kind of relates to Yeah. So I just, I think the entire experience of being a human being will be very different in 2030 and how we're using the internet. And I think like, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of the easiest way to put it. It's just like today, there isn't really a way to implement um, your idea. It's like, okay, I want to broadcast this on Twitter and then I want to get you into maybe like a group on Discord, but then like, lose people there and then it's like okay we're going to vote an idea but then how are we going to manage the treasury um how are we going to connect voting for our community into moving funds so i would just say like yeah overall the entire being an entrepreneur will be much easier um the level of energy in a community because it can actually take action will be incredibly different um and so i think like yeah i think the entire experience will be awesome it'll be like less like people just talking and way more like talking leads to an idea being implemented very quickly and kind of builds and cycles Mm. off
1: of
2: that 2030 everything will be awesome i i don't like 2030 it's it's great i get what you're going for um just because like i've been thinking of 2030 since 2020 like where it's like the 10-year thing and now like 2030 isn't that far away it's like seven years um so it's like it's getting closer to the point where like stuff actually has to happen in 2030 uh you (laughs) can't like you can't use it i'm actually like here for the even like the near term journey. Um I really want to get the develop we more than people know, we already have like a developer flywheel going on Urbit where, as I keep saying to people, like two and a half years ago, uh it was like me and like three or four other people in the community, like as developers. And now it's in the hundreds and it's like growing really well and there's tools coming very soon. Not like, you know, four years from now, but like a few months from now. That'll make that like way better and get it to like sort of par uh, with web two, with the potential to accelerate because that is so much other stuff you can do in terms of delivering apps and integrating crypto that what will kind of make me have a lot of fun is just like kind of riding that exponential developer curve specifically. And I think when we think about how fast Urbit could develop or crypto could develop, we're a little bit held back in our imagination because we're thinking of it in terms of how many people are there now and what tools they have now. And what I'm kind of hopeful for is in the next, like, year or two, which people enter who are just, like, incredibly productive, like, incredibly ambitious, who just get stuff done using some of, like, you know, some new tools that are there uh, much faster than we could imagine. So, yeah, I kind of want to, I don't know, I don't usually say this, I'm a person who doesn't like to live in the moment. I think the moment is boring, and, like, the future is better. Um, And, like, sometimes I touch, like, atoms outside, like, grass or, like, water, but, I, yeah, I, I do in this case think it'll be fun to like enjoy the near term journey a little bit with regards to developers on Urbit. And that's what I'm
3: most excited and bullish apart, like bullish about. Yeah, though I think there's a current moment where there isn't really a positive narrative that's being laid. And so I don't care if it's like, if you say 2030 or if to your point, you're just excited about today and the possibilities today, that's even better. Um, but I think it is very important to really like, why we're all so excited about Urbit, why we're all kind of like we all kind of like take Urbit somewhat for granted um and so i think like it's really important to kind of distill why that is uh more broadly to the public and kind of really and take that position of like you know this is going to be an awesome future you know i mm-hmm. you know maybe it's faster than 2030 but this is a great future yeah like,
2: to, to, to clarify
3: i'm yeah i'm not trying to
2: like you know denigrate the 2030 thing and i hope and expect it'll be really good then i just want people to like start having fun sooner everyone feels really bored everyone crypto tech stripe cucks like all of our friends um and like i just want them to have fun again are you having and fun? i think it can be i'm not having as much fun as i want i'm like a little bit down and i'm like hopeful that the fun can recommence in the next day or two but i'm uh, maybe i need some more i think If there's one thing we've learned from this is that the answer is like probably more stimulants. Have you got outside (laughs) today? It rained a lot. I briefly went out. I wanted to mail a package and like I stood in the rain for like a while, like waiting because it was like, you know, the store is going to open at this time after the siesta. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. they decided just to not come back from the siesta. And so I got it. I came back here. Italy, man.
1: You got to wait till so you can send your package on the blockchain and then we'll be having a lot
0: more.
2: Four fun. The question is, how,
0: how, how much Adderall would Erbit need to dominate a small country and have its own security force?
2: Ad- Adderall is not a strategic drug. So here's this is where I think like um, a- a- SBF, like sort of mixed up like the wrong things because I've done like, you know, heavy you know, stimulants at various times to like get projects out. And like they really like aren't good for your creativity and strategic thinking they're really good when you can like lay out a problem and just like bang through it especially like in software um but i i think they're not very good for that and so i I, you know the answer is they help the fun problem well that yeah everything is good all the time um yeah i think um the answer is you would you would actually like not want at you know adderall in this case and it would be it would be the wrong drug i think like this sounds really lame and old but like I do think like you know glasses of like wine um would be better for like contemplating strategy <laughs> and doing it because strategy is a much more like you know waiting and then pouncing like a hawk thing as opposed to like stimming yourself up in the polycule with Caroline kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I think Yeah, you coming think, back to bed.
0: This this the stock price of of many things is going down right now and I would say in, in addition to FTX, uh, the stock price of Effective Altruism is going down. The stock price of Polycules is going down.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. if we can't if we can't depend on Effective Altruism and Polycules, like what can we
3: trust to like take us out of the out of the bear? Well, what? I yeah, good. I think it it just goes back to just like people were really hoping that like crypto would achieve escape velocity this past cycle. Like everyone yeah. was really just yeah. like hoping that would happen. That like they would kind of they wouldn't have to like care about the us government or anything or macro they were just like you know we're going to be incredibly rich or and we're going to or technical in, or topic.
2: technical innovation i mean should we talk about the part where like especially bitcoin maxi's like are bored by tech not interested in it like don't want to innovate on it there's like a, and that's not and i think like there are there's a subset of the youth community that's much more technical but there's a lot of people who are in crypto who like tech is sort of this like other thing and it's not, you know, necessarily why they're there and it's kind of icky to them that, you know, we're going to have to do this. But I actually just thought, wouldn't it, we really need to have a new network age member or one of you guys converted to this who's like unironically very into polycules so that whenever we like make fun of them we have to be a little bit uncomfortable and tread carefully and be like, well, we do know that there's some benefits and it works well and you know in your case, we like, you know, Sharon and like, you know, Angela are the you I made know to we agree this beforehand everyone's on the same page yeah exactly so we respect that but like yeah we're not so it would be great if we had that kind of like sort of tension where it felt really awkward to make fun of polycules because millrun's preferences well you know what's kind of strange and funny is like there's a
0: weird polycules are just like content uh gasoline basically i don't know why but i learned i learned this when people love the concept of polycules it like really stokes their imagination and it makes people like talk and share content like crazy I lived, I, I lived in a shared house with some friends, uh, a couple of years ago for, for about a poly, year, a poly and, Well, the, there were, there was this rumor uh, and it, it, it spread very widely. There was a rumor that my wife and I were in a polycule with them. It was totally no false, but, fire. but, but, a lot of people, a lot of people genuinely believe that. And to this day, sometimes people still ask me about it. Um, so in a way, but I think it's kind of a good, it, it's a, it's a strategic meme in a way, cause it just makes people talk about, talk about your content more. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And it's good. Like you were able to take like your kind of your polycule experience and like, you know, sort of turn it into this ironic thing where it's like funny that it never happened, but obviously (laughs) it did.
0: So, well, I mean, okay. So I guess uh, I'll, I'll let you guys go in a minute, but I guess one final question or, uh, if, if there's any, if there's any mileage here, maybe there's not, but it does seem to me that in these, in these kind of associated cultural correlates, um, you know, the, the stuff about the polycule, the stuff about uh, SBF's effective altruism and his kind of hardcore rationalism and an obsession with kind of respectable mainstream political institutions. It does seem like to me that these things are correlated in in a, in a meaningful way. And when I look at um, really more radical visionary projects, such as Urbit, I see other uh, similar cultural variables also correlated, but in the other direction, right? And, you know, I, on Urbit, I know a lot of the people building Urbit um, are Christians, whether they're Orthodox or Catholic or what have you, a lot of them are very pro-family, very pro-natalist, um, more into virtue ethics than kind of mainstream cosmopolitan rationalism. And so I don't know if you guys have an angle here or if you think there's, there's something worth, um, exploring or expanding on, but it does seem to me like these are clusters of, of, of traits, um, that do have some kind of, of causal, causal significance. Do do you see something there or what do you think? I think
2: it does. If you talk
0: to a lot,
3: you're not going to like my angle. Okay. There are, a lot of orbiters are looking into leaving a computer that's like a better computing experience for the next generation. Like, Urbit takes a very long time to build. If you ask a lot of like the core devs why they're doing it and how long they want this to last, you know, it's like the hundred or thousand year computer. And like, they're very focused on the next generation, be that their children or just, you know, people following after them. So I think when you're doing something as ambitious where you're just basically like, you know, redo the internet... Uh You have to like hope that you're you're doing it because you think it'll last a very long time. You're willing to kind of make an investment that might not show bear any fruit for years and years. Like it's already been a while with urban. That's like why a lot of you know investors haven't been super excited about urban. It's because it's taken a while. But that goes to the mentality of the people. Like I I would love to. I wouldn't really want to give my kids the current internet. I just don't. It's not really a computing experience that like I think uh yeah that i'd want my family using and so i think it's just like going to that that kind of long time horizon and i think it affects everything about urban development okay Okay. tim luck what am i not gonna like (laughs) well i was hesitant to like just
2: agree with you because one thing i've noticed a lot in urban in the past year is that i would say that the i don't know the profile you described was very accurate like a year ago and i think is less and less so now due to like the very rapid growth and i think um I guess I'd say, like, convergence with something like Ethereum has been, like, pretty rapid as much as, like, I think some of the more original urbaners like, maybe dislike that in some ways. So I think that's there. But I do think that what Nilrun said about, I do think that there is a difference in time approach between, like, sort of a, let's, I don't know, essentially it's just, like, internet rationalists um, who are often, like, they range from what they're not super focused on their legacy being like, you know, a next generation. It's very often like sort of this more utilitarian outcome for like a broad number of faceless people, um, which is, you know, whatever that's, that's how they want to do it. Um, but I do think that it's accurate to say that for, you know, better or worse, uh, a, lo- um, a large number of urban people and probably the most influential ones do see it in a more like, Either dynastic or handing it on to next generations like traditional thing. And I think that part is likely to last because I think that it's that's also like well, A, I think it taps into very deep human things where people like, you know, genetics to go on. And I think the rationalists are probably fighting against the current to some degree there in a way that makes it uh makes it harder. Um and I think also that like the most sort of purist ideas in crypto. Are obsessively focused on the same idea of like that kind of longevity. Like if you look at I'll, again, I'll just take like hardcore eat um, uh, Much more than people know, are very obsessed with the idea of like the security profile being sustainable. Uh, are we like you know do we have paths for like quantum resistance? Um, is the issuance schedule like stable? Like like even Bitcoin's issuance schedule is like sort of makes them feel icky because they can see like you know where you know where it has problems. And so I do think that in that sense in that very broad like next generation sense Urbit is very aligned with the most powerful trends in like crypto as a whole
1: i yeah i think i don't necessarily disagree with um some of what you guys are saying about the uh, the length of Urbit's vision in a way that if you're building a project that is this large you have to um sort of take a different understanding of the the time horizon of what you're building and what that means and who it's for but um i i personally find a lot of the culture war stuff sort of uh, uh, associated with pretty uninteresting and sort of really beside the point for what is interesting about urbit which i find even as someone who's non-technical really is in the technical details and what that offers as opposed to sort of i don't know i think there like a there is a decent percentage of urban people who have a little bit of a cultural chip on their shoulder and feel like (laughs) they've created this new little utopian place for themselves which i think actually detracts from the cool stuff i don't know that this is beside the point of what is no
2: no, i I think i think my answer was basically agreeing uh, with you yeah yeah. i think that like the power has been in that it's like sort of taken like i guess like the most powerful parts of that like Mm -hmm. impulse and stripped away some of the culture war stuff and tapped into this like general human next generation impulse which is at odds with like i think effective altruism and like sort of yeah i don't know slate star codex rationalism
3: yeah but it's not a political thing it's just like a no i think i think it's successfully evolved by strip
2: by stripping like a lot of the political Mm -hmm. aspects which a hundred percent were there like a year ago like a year ago urbit was like the place for like based orthodox like weightlifting like uh people who like like to culturally position by saying they didn't like
3: computers and that's cool yeah. there's some like you know nice people um but the nice thing is yeah, they I think it's, will continue to use Urbit, but also yeah. everyone else will use Erbit. like it's just it's cumulative it's additive right yeah, yeah, yeah. right totally awesome well for people watching this on
0: YouTube or listening to it on the podcast later these are the guys from the network age podcast I'm I'm actually you know I can say with in all honesty that I am a Network Age completist. I have listened to every single episode so far. It's a a new podcast. There's only uh, about like 10 episodes so far, I think, around there. And I've listened to every minute of it. I actually really like it. There are not many new podcasts that I've recently become a genuine fan of, and the Network Age is one of them. So I think if you're you're a listener of the Other Life podcast or you read the newsletter, um, I think there's a very high chance that you will also enjoy the Network Age. So um, yeah, go subscribe to the Network Age. Tim is also the co-founder of uh one of the most exciting projects on urbit it's called Ukbar. it's a it's a eth layer two roll up um on urbit and it's uh yeah they they have a, a big war chest of money they're developing really fast right now they have a lot of uh, urbit's biggest brains working on this and uh yeah in the next few months you're going to start seeing uh people building you know seamless composable applications on urbit that use money as a primitive thanks to Ukbar. and I think personally as I said before Bar is one of the many things on Urbit happening right now that I think is really going to turn heads in the next few months and, and hopefully pull us out of the, the current kind of crypto winter that we're probably entering. So, um, yeah, if you guys have any, anything else you wanted to add, feel free to um, if you want to add anything or if you want to shout anything out.
2: That's a way yeah. better summary of what we do than like what I do for summaries. <laughs> <laughs> we've, uh, we've
1: got a good episode coming out uh, on Thursday with Rocco of Rocco's Basso's fame where we're going to talk about the gold and a bunch of other stuff and some AI shit that,
0: so go go check it out awesome well thank you guys for coming on everyone Excellent. thanks for listening thanks for watching talk to you everyone later
3: All right.